I would say 70 or roughly 70% of our time is actually dedicated to the first part of this equation that I just mentioned, to basically executing, uh, proactively uh, seeking uh, opportunities in the market while also being uh, very close to market agents to feel the market and to sound the market and, and understand whether or not there are uh, any interesting opportunities out there. And then I would say that the remaining 30 is actually uh, related to the corporate development part, so uh, conducting, uh, coordinating uh, strategy projects uh, throughout the group, uh, challenging the day-to-day the, the -day business of different uh, business units and ultimately interacting uh, with all the, the stakeholders uh, throughout the group, namely. Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of our podcast Crunch the Numbers. My name is João Trena and I'm an equity research analyst here at Lisbon Investment Society. Today, we'll be diving into the topic of mergers and acquisitions with our guest, Diogo Bonsoza, who works uh, at EDP in the Department of Investment Analysis, more specifically in the mergers and acquisitions team. Welcome, Diogo. It's a pleasure to have you here with us today. Hi, João. Um, thank you so much for having me here. Um, well, it's a pleasure to be here and, and hopefully I'll be able to share some, some interesting uh, thoughts on, on, on M&A as a whole and role uh, here at, um, at TDP. For sure. For sure. Um, first of all, before diving into the questions, I'd like to give a very special thanks, of course, to you and also to Filipe Fernandes at the People Experience Unit and EDP as a whole for showing uh, interest and availability to record this podcast here with us at Lisbon Investment Society. As an EDP ambassador and Lisbon Investment Society member, it really makes me very happy to see both of these parts of my life working together. Um, now, uh, the viewers, of course, want to know more about you. So please tell me a little bit about yourself and your background, of course and how you ended up working in this, in this M&A area. Sure. Um, I've, I've, I mean, have, um, I've been working for EDP for, for the past uh, three, three and a half years. Um, I started uh, as an intern um, in, in a very um, operational area of EDP, uh, responsible for managing the, the, collection, uh, the collections process uh, of the group. Uh, namely uh, related to the uh, to the retail um, side of the business uh, at, at the company that um, at the time called EDP Solutions Comerciais, which was uh, shared services of the group. Um, I stayed there for, for roughly eight months and then uh, I was offered a position um, at EDP Comercial, which is, as most of you know, uh, the retail arm of, of, um, of the group. Um, at a very uh, interesting uh, project uh, responsible for setting up uh, retail operations across Europe, namely um, in Italy and, and, and Poland. Um, well, I've worked with the team there for a year and a half, and then I had this uh, great opportunity to join the corporate center uh, of the group and assisting, um, well, directly assisting the CEO uh, in his, uh, his daily activities. Uh, also with uh, with his uh, chief of staff, I stayed there for uh, another six months, uh, and then uh, that's uh, when I had the opportunity to join the M and corporate development team, which is uh, actually uh, uh, where I am today, and I've worked there for for 
for over a year. So as you can see, I've, I've moved around uh, quite a lot uh, yeah, throughout sure. the group, uh, but I think it's it's quite useful because it ultimately provided me with a with a very holistic, uh, uh, comprehensive view of uh, the group's business units, but also uh, of the different uh, business models uh, that we that we pursue in the different parts of the value chain. So um, it's been so far a very rewarding experience uh, at PDP. Of course. Um, what about your academic background? I've, uh, I've worked at, uh, I mean, I've, I've, I've conducted my bachelor degree in management and then um, my, my master's degree in finance, both uh, at Nova School of Business uh, and Economics. Okay, thank you. I think it's very interesting that you didn't start out in a finance-related uh, area and ended sure. up working I think in I, M&A. Yeah, I think I did the the the, the other way around, right? So yeah. I started off in not uh, not uh, in a, in a finance department, and I ended up uh, in M and A. So I think people yeah. usually do do it uh, the other way around. Yeah, for sure. But it worked. It worked uh, just fine for me. <laughs> of course, of course. Um, okay, so moving on to the next question. Um, Usually, people associate M and A analysts with valuation. It's the first thing that comes to mind, right? Um, but as I know, it's not the only task uh, an M and A analyst has to do, and it's actually a very uh, demanding job that has a lot of areas of expertise that you have to to master. So, I'd like to ask you, what is the usual routine of an M and A analyst? What kind of tasks are involved in your day to day? Um, I mean, first of all, I think it's uh, it's also useful to 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 differentiate between you know EDP as as a company and other companies that usually uh, have very robust uh, M and A departments. So I think EDP, as you know, uh, although M and A has been a core a core part of our strategy and ultimately has led us to to where we are today, uh, we are not a hedge fund or private equity or and in that sense, I, I believe that the M&A role uh, at EDP uh, is quite um, different from what uh, you would expect at, um, at the company such as private equity or, or an hedge fund. Um, I would say that our, our mission here at, at the M&A corporate development team is mainly to support the strategic development of EDP on the one hand, then also to explore and execute very, I mean, interesting obviously uh, business opportunities but also to optimize at all uh, at all moments in time uh, in this portfolio so i think it's uh, it's um, it's a quite uh, comprehensive job that we have to do uh, i would say 70 or roughly 70 percent of our time is ac actually dedicated to the first part of this equation that i just mentioned so basically executing uh, proactively uh, seeking uh, opportunities in the market while also being um, very close to market agents to feel the market and to sound the market and, and understand whether or not there are uh, any interesting opportunities out there. And then I would say that the remaining 30% is actually uh, related to the corporate development part. So uh, conducting, uh, coordinating uh, strategy projects uh, throughout the group, uh, challenging the day-to-day the, the -day business of different uh, business units and ultimately interacting uh, with all the, the stakeholders uh, throughout the group, namely 
the general and supervisory board, uh, the executive board of directors, the investment committee. We also engage uh, weekly uh, with several advisors, banks, uh, that also allows us uh, and, and allow us to feel the market and understand whether or not uh, we could potentially uh, engage in some uh, specific movements uh, out there. And, and then obviously we also interact daily with different business units. <clears throat> so I think that in a nutshell, uh, this is uh, pretty much it. And as you mentioned, it's quite, uh, it's quite comprehensive. Um, yeah, for sure. And, and obviously, it, it, but, but again, it obviously uh, is, is different from, from what you would expect um, at, a, at a very specific uh, M&A uh, company, such as, a, I mean, M&A focused company, such as a hedge yeah. fund. But in the end, um, well, it obviously has uh, obvious uh, similarities as well. Yeah, of course. <laughs> It's quite interesting to see the M&A side from the point of view of a firm that isn't a financial institution and it's more like a, a support to grow, for sure. Mm -hmm. um, so, EDP recently finished a, a very big acquisition of VIEW, as you know. Um, could you tell me what were the biggest concerns and the main points of focus when doing an operation of this scale? Um, how crucial is the process of due diligence? which I know is very important and sometimes was overlooked in some historic transactions and it didn't go very well. Um, and finally, how did you decide the type of offer and financing since there are a lot of options? Mm -hmm. um, I think um, the Viergo acquisition is actually a quite good example of the 70% that I mentioned earlier, in which uh, we actively sound the market and, and try to seek uh, interesting business opportunities out there. Uh, in this case, we secured a, a bilateral agreement uh, with a long-term partnership with, uh, in this case, with a seller, which was Macquarie, uh, in, a very, um, in a very interesting uh, transaction with significant synergetic value. So in the end, we had, uh, well, we had a, a, a grid in north of Spain, which, which was basically uh, very close by with two grids that belong to Viejo. In that sense, we believe that there were clear uh, synergies there to be captured, uh, which is why this was a very, uh, a very opportunistic uh, uh, deal for, uh, for EDP. Um, well, this was, as you know, um, this was um, conducted through uh, the second half of 2020, so in the midst of, um, of the COVID uh, pandemic, which was obviously a setback in the preparation of all the, uh, of all the deal and, and the negotiations and the due diligence as well, as you mentioned, the manager, the management presentations, the, the uh, I mean, the rights issue launch that we, that we conducted as well. Um, so all, all of these uh, parts of, of, of the usual M&A transaction were actually uh, conducted remotely, uh, which was something that we were not, I mean, the whole world, basically was not uh, as used to uh, as we are today. Uh, in that sense, I would say that this was basically the, the, the main concern. So to, to make sure that the deal was, uh, was kept alive and, and that we uh, were able to, uh, to thoroughly uh, conduct this uh, preparation process, which involved uh, also internal approvals and, and uh, external approvals as well, uh, to make sure that we were, um, that we were, uh, in place to, to 
close the transaction by the end of the year. Uh, obviously, there was a, a, there was also a very very uh, challenging part, which was uh, which was the part of the financing, as you as you mentioned. Um, we uh, launched the rights issue to finance or to partially finance this transaction. So we were, uh, in, to some extent, dependent on, on, on market conditions, which uh, significantly deteriorated uh, as the COVID uh, yeah. period as well. Uh, we, we were uh, somehow dealing with this uh, with these two uh, challenges. On the one hand, making sure that the deal was uh, was still. Uh, I mean, was was actually going through the normal thorough uh, approval process, uh, and also through the DD process and all the all the all these uh, all, all these stages that the usual M&A transaction has to go through, uh, hand in hand with monitoring quite uh, uh, quite thoroughly as well the market conditions, whether or not we would be able to execute the, the, the rights issue. So I think that these two dimensions were actually the, the, the main uh, focus point here uh, with the Viergo, with the Viergo transaction. As I mentioned as well, um, we conducted a very, uh, a very thorough uh, due diligence process. So usually <clears throat> as uh, in every transaction, we conduct, uh, uh, we conducted a legal finance, uh, tax regulatory uh, markets, uh, technical uh, due diligence process. So we select advisors. They help us in analyzing all the information that the seller uh, provides us. Uh, ultimately, for us to be comfortable with the organization, the structure, the teams, the assets, uh, and the overall perimeter that we are acquiring. And on the, on the other hand, making sure that uh, we implement or we adjust uh, whatever adjustments we feel uh, that are necessary to uh, to optimize the the, the overall deal um, structure, I think uh, on, on the other hand, as I mentioned, and uh, following the rights issue, we also conducted a deep uh, DD process with the underwriting bank. So, <clears throat> in the end, we were we were conducting a due diligence process while on, while we had, uh, and we were also providing information to to third parties to 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 due diligence us. Uh, as underwriting bank, so which was uh, which was also quite peculiar, um, but yeah. So in the end, uh, the due diligence process, as as you mentioned, is is is, is critical in a transaction, specifically in a transaction of two point seven billion um, as this one. Yeah. The overall process took us. Yeah, it was it was quite significant for us. Um, the overall process took us. Uh, Roughly over six months until signing, and another six months uh, until closing, which occurred uh, in December uh, 2020. Um, I, I mean, I think I already answered partially your question regarding the regarding the the structure of the transaction and the financing. We we, we issued uh, basically a capital increase, uh, so we issued and raised equity to to, to fund uh, part of the. Part of the transaction. This is namely related to the fact that TDP had committed uh, in, in, in its strategic plan uh, for 2019-2022 to a deleverage path, uh, and therefore uh, we were committed to deliver on that on that uh, on that trajectory. And therefore, we raised equity rather than other types of, of, of finance. <clears throat> okay. Um... 
Thank you, Duke. It's it's really interesting to see how much work and how many areas are included in a, in an M&A transaction and how complex it really is. It must it must have been really really a challenge, a great challenge to do this in a pandemic, for sure. sure. Um, there, are, there there were a lot of, of moving parts, and the main challenge was uh, was to make sure that we were on uh, all of them. Of course. Okay. So as we know, we all learn models to, to value firms here uh, in our degrees. Um, could you briefly explain how to value a firm that is an acquisition target? What models do you use? Do, um, does it, was it what you learned when doing your degrees, basically? I think it's, uh, I, I, I didn't know, but I, I quickly realized that it's quite similar uh, uh, to what we learned uh, at college. Uh, so basically and very theoretically, there are three main uh, valuation tools that we usually use. Uh, the DCF, the discounted cash flows, uh, the DDM, uh, and also comparable uh, multiples. And obviously the right tool will depend on the industry and on the target. And, and so I think there's no silver bullet there. Uh, I can say that at EDP, we most frequently rely on the DCF. Uh, so basically, uh, you, you start from the target's uh, three statements, uh, which you then extend and forecast for uh, in any foreseeable future that you, that you assume, uh, based obviously on historical information. Uh, there, you derive the, the cash flows of the target and you discount them um, at your own uh, predefined rate of return. Usually, we, we use the walk. Uh, with, a, with a premium, um, basically to account for the time value of money, and then you discount those uh, uh, to the present, and you end up with, uh, with a discounted free cash flow to firm. Um, then you need to account also for the terminal value of the company. So uh, once you have estimated all the cash flows, uh, you need what we usually uh, also estimate what would be the value of the company uh, on a perpetual basis and beyond your forecasted period. Then you also discount the terminal value to the present uh, and you, you obtain the enterprise value. Then you have to bridge it and to adjust it with whatever adjustments that you need to do to end up with the equity value. Uh, and that's actually the parts uh, that you end up acquiring um, when, when uh, conducting uh, an M&A transaction. So in a nutshell, this, this will be the process, which I believe is, is fairly similar to, 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 what, uh, to, what, you, to what you learn in, uh, in college. Yeah, it is very similar indeed. And it's very cool to see that what we learn uh, in our degrees and obviously what we put into practice here in Lisbon Investment Society is actually um, close to how things go in practice in big firms today. Um, very cool. Okay, so now I'd like to know a little bit about hostile versus friendly takeovers. Um, what are the biggest differences in, in the process of a hostile or a friendly takeover? And which type have you encountered the most while, while working in m and which is the most common? Um, <clears throat> again, uh, conceptually, uh, what differentiates a friendly takeover from a hostile takeover is whether or not you have the support from, from the company. Uh, 
that you are actually acquiring, whether or not you have the support from the executive board of directors uh, of the target company. Um, as far as EDP is concerned, uh, EDP was uh, an EDPR consequently were, I mean, were the target of a tender offer from uh, its main shareholder uh, in 2018. Its main shareholder was at the time CTG. Um, as usually occurs in this situation, the board, uh, the board has to issue an opinion or recommendation uh, on whether the offer seems or not uh, actionable. Uh, and as uh, was our duty uh, here at EDP, we conducted a very thorough and very extensive analysis on the conditions of the offer uh, itself, uh, namely on the regulatory process, on the price as well, on potential uh, concerns and potential remedies uh, that could be triggered with the offer, uh, which is very common uh, in a takeover of, of this size. Uh, so again, we assessed all these uh, specific components. Uh, we issued a very, a very uh, comprehensive analysis, and then we shared it obviously with the board of directors and, and with the general and supervisory board. Uh, well, in this specific case, and despite the merits of the offer, the board of EDP considered that on the one hand, the price that was offered uh, was not aligned uh, with previous transactions uh, of, this, of this kind, which was actually uh, seeking control of the company. Uh, and, and, and as such, it did not adequately uh, reflect the underlying value of EDP uh, for, 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 for the shareholders. And then on the, on the other hand, we also, we also uh, found uh, that the regulatory context was actually quite uh, uh, quite challenging, uh, requiring on one hand changes to the bylaws of EDP and on the other uh, several uh, regulatory authorizations in the EU uh, and also in the USA. <coughs> so in the end, uh, EDP's decision was uh, to uh, not back the offer and recommend, uh, uh, well, we couldn't, and, and in the end, we couldn't recommend shareholders to accept uh, the offer. Well, I wouldn't say uh, that this was that this was a hostile or friendly takeover. Um, I think that in the end, as I mean, as was our our, our job and our duty, we, we did all we could to collaborate with CTG's representatives. Uh, I mean, we engaged in several conversations, trying to understand their plans, uh, trying to understand their their vision for the company and for the stakeholders. And we obviously provided all the assistance uh, that they required uh, in identifying, I mean, all the approvals necessary and all, um, and all that was actually uh, required to, uh, to go through with, uh, with the transaction. So in the end, I wouldn't categorize it as neither uh, hostile or friendly, but the fact is that uh, we analyzed very thoroughly the, the, the conditions of the offer and, and, and we couldn't... Uh, and, and Given those, we couldn't we couldn't back the offer. Of course, um, I think it's a very peculiar situation, right? And it really shows that it's not always black and white in this in this type of area, friendly or hostile. Or um, okay, thank you very much for the answer. Now, a really really core question that that I have um, in practice. How do you decide between acquiring a new firm versus expanding or developing uh, the parent firm? Basically, what I'm asking is inorganic growth versus organic growth. Uh, and what would you say are the biggest advantages and disadvantages of 
mergers and acquisitions or, or in organic growth as a whole? Um, well, I had this, uh, this teacher in college. He used to say that we, we, when, when, we, when we were asked a question, to, to, the right answer was always to stay on the fence and answering it depends. Well, in, in this case, it, it actually is. It really depends. It depends on, on the scope uh, of, of your operations. It, depends, it, it also depends uh, on what the strategy is and what the, the, the outcome expected is. Uh, and, the, and therefore, companies can opt between different strategies depending on, on what the ultimate goal is. Uh, I think that at TDP, I mean, the, the accurate strategy, as, as I mentioned, will obviously depend uh, on, on the move, on the specific move that the company wishes to make, uh, whether to enter new markets, uh, whether to explore a new technology, whether to create optionality for, for an up-and-coming uh, technology or or solution to scale up a given branch of the company, a given uh, operational model, uh, among, among many others. This is why it's critical to, to, to have a powerful equity story, to have a powerful and very clear path uh, to go ahead. Uh, and m &A is obviously a very powerful tool, and the inorganic in growth is obviously a very power, powerful tool to, to, to accelerate uh, well, to accelerate growth uh, and usually uh, faster than pursuing the, the, the organic uh, avenue. Uh, it, it's also quite, uh, quite uh, powerful to reposition uh, the company, for instance, uh, towards a given strategy or other given strategy. Uh, example, uh, selling non-strategic assets and replacing them with, with others that would make more sense uh, to consolidate and really uh, focus the company towards uh, 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 towards a strategy, and as such, I mean M and A is in fact uh, quite critical. And as I as I mentioned in the beginning, it has been so far a, a, a critical uh, a critical uh, strategy of EDP uh, that has ultimately uh, led us uh, to what we are and to to where we are today. Uh, EDP has over time relied on several different approaches over time uh, to address uh, these, specific, uh, these specific topics that I raised, uh, either to enter new markets, to reposition the company, to, to enter new technologies, uh, and many of them are, are, are quite different from, from one another. So, and, and I can actually provide you with some, with some examples. Go ahead, uh, go ahead. In, well, in 2007, uh, EDP acquired uh, Horizon, which was a renewables, uh, a renewables platform in Texas. Uh, well, we obviously anticipated this, uh, uh, the renewables trend in the utility space, uh, and, we were, uh, and we were able to enter uh, the U.S. Uh, with a leading position, acquiring local knowledge, local teams, and, and we were able to quickly and rapidly scale up uh, operations. So this was... Uh, an inorganic uh, strategy uh, to really uh, make us uh, scale up operations uh, quite rapidly. On the other hand, for instance, we, we, we recently developed a 50-50 joint venture with, with Angie, creating a company called Ocean Winds to, do, to, to develop this specific technology, with, uh, which is wind offshore, uh, which traditional, uh, traditionally requires a very significant uh, very significant investment amounts and have shorter time to market. Uh, by promoting 
this uh, really specific country strategy, uh, we would uh, we were actually sharing knowledge uh, with AG, which is uh, which is another utility major. But we were also de-risking quite significantly uh, our investments uh, in this uh, in this technology. Uh, so this was another 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 interesting uh, strategy. Uh, another example to ramp up solar DG self-consumption solutions. <coughs> we recently through EDP, uh, uh, through EDP's retail uh, retail lab, we acquired uh, a company in the Italian market um, called Enertel, and obviously we we had access to local uh, to the target's local uh, sales force and experienced team. Uh, in solar, solar DG, uh, we also we also pursue organic avenues, obviously, namely in, in the deployment of, of renewable capacity in the car markets, either uh, in Europe or nowadays in the US as well. Uh, and it's where obviously we have a lot of experience. Um, and then obviously the the, the, the example that we were uh, discussing earlier today, which is the vehicle acquisition, which of course. Uh, was a unique was a unique deal for us that uh, allowed us to merge our operations uh, in the north of Spain, <clears throat> namely in, in distribution and extract uh, quite uh, significant and meaningful synergies. <clears throat> so as I mentioned, I mean, uh, quite, uh, quite different strategies for, for, for different purposes as well. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I think the, it, it really shows how how the the answer to this question is really depends right um exactly. so, as you see with edp it really is amazing how many different strategies and depending on the segment or what you want to do with the company and how you want to evolve it it's really interesting to see all these different strategies and that of course uh, a department of investment isn't always just m a and it's not the only option of course there's a there's a quite strategic angle uh, behind it as well that has to do with uh, what exactly uh, do I aim to achieve uh, and what's the the, the, the most adequate uh, strategy to achieve it is it through organic uh, organic growth is it inorganic is it a partnership uh, so that's a, that's a quite strategic uh, question that we that we need to ask ourselves quite frequently uh, and then obviously we need to, to thoroughly execute it as well. Yeah, and uh, an important part as well is the, the shareholders, right? You really have to uh, present the value to the shareholders and show them how you're going to add value to the company, right? Uh, I, exactly. I imagine that's yeah, very important. It is, it is. And it's, I'm glad that you, that you, that you raised this, uh, this topic well, at at TDP, this is a this is a, a key concern uh, a key concern of ours. Uh, our operations usually go through a very uh, very intense uh, internal approval process, which in the end uh, aims at, at providing comfort to our, to, to our shareholders. Uh, and obviously, uh, the ultimate goal uh, is is always to 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 add value and to be value creative uh, to the owners of the company to the shareholders. Uh, so in the end, that's also a quite a quite important part of the equation that, that, that you raised there. Of course, of course. I think it's very cool that um, it obviously has such a big focus on adding value for the shareholders, but also uh, has the values such as sustainability so present in mind. Um, it's really a, a combo that I appreciate a lot. 
Okay, so finally, um, a little bit more of an opinion question um, about the market. Um, do you think it's likely that we will witness uh, a new merger and acquisition wave in the near future, like one or two years? Um, and what leads you to believe so? Um, again, <laughs> quite a tricky question to, to, to yeah. answer. I think, <laughs> I think there's, no, there's no silver bullet, but I can, I can, I can try and, and, and address some of the topics that I think are relevant uh, in this specific discussion. Uh, as you know, um, we've had so far a decade of a bull run when it comes to M&A activity which slowed down uh, quite sharply uh, earlier this year as, 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 uh, uh, as the pandemic, uh, as the, as the pandemic appeared. Uh, well, if on the one hand, and I think it's, it's quite consensual that there are some, some trends that have been in place for, for the past couple of years that have been, that, that, that have been accelerated over the, last, over the last few months, namely the digitalization, uh, ESG-related uh, issues, the energy transition, the energy transition as well, uh, and I think those are, are, are trends that could be uplifted um, in a new in a new wave uh, of M and I think there are also uh, several tailwinds that could support uh, robust uh, M and A activity going forward. Uh, I think that despite concerns over 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 an increase uh, or potential increase in interest rate following uh, the, several, uh, the several packages uh, that the U.S. has been uh, putting forward uh, recently. I think that the market actually seems supportive uh, of, 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 this, uh, of this transaction, namely with historical, uh, historically low uh, cost of capital. I think that in, in a sense and in a way, ge geopolitical conditions seem to be uh, progressively uh, and progressively here is, is quite important uh, have have been progressively uh, stabilizing, uh, namely with Brexit and the UK New Deal. Um, also in the US with the new uh, with the new uh, administration, and this sure. obviously could foster uh, and incentivize cross border transactions. Uh, then I think that with 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 the vaccination uh, rapidly accelerating as well all over the world. I think that the COVID-impacted uh, sectors may also, uh, may also improve, um, providing also a clearer visibility over, over near-term uh, near results. Um, and as such, I think that that could also, uh, that could also trigger uh, a significant wave of, of M&A transactions coupled with uh, other companies that are actually um, uplifting on, on the pandemic and as the pandemic lingers, they are actually consolidating uh, their own positions uh, in the market and investing in Skype. And as such, I mean, as, as I mentioned in the beginning, I think there's no silver bullet. Uh, there's no, there's actually no silver bullet to, to, to answer this question, but I think, um, and, and, and obviously it's, it's still, I think it's still quite, quite uncertain what will be the outcome of the pandemic and, and when exactly and what could we expect um, going forward and, and, and when could we expect an economic recovery. Uh, but if, if I had to, to identify uh, five or six uh, trends that could actually contribute to, um, 
to an MA, to a new MA wave in the future, I think uh, these will be these will be close. Of course, I think that was a, a very very interesting answer, especially for our young investors. Of course, um, since you do touch on a lot of a lot of points that might incentivize this type of movement in the market, uh, while it's not certain, of course. Uh, the market is unpredictable and so are the times we live in. But I think it's a, a great uh, base to, to start at. Okay, Diogo, thank you so much for being here with us. I think this was a, um, a great insight on how a mergers and acquisitions uh, department and team works in a firm that isn't a financial institution and that Uh, mainly expects or wants to grow its core business and maybe expand a little bit as well on other types of businesses. I think it was very insightful and I hope we added value to our, to our viewers as well. Thank you Hopefully, so much. Yes. Uh, thank you, João, and feel free to, to reach out uh, whenever you need anything from, from our side. I think. Okay. Thank you. Hey, if you enjoyed this podcast, I have three words for you. We have more. From market summaries and newsletters to more interviews with finance professionals, Lisbon Investment Society is the place where you can invest in yourself. So make sure to check our website at isegulis.com. That's I-S-E-G-L-I-S dot com. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great day and we'll see you next month.